Welcome to the Studies in Proverbs podcast, produced by HeartCry Missionary Society. This is taken from a video series you can find on our website, heartcrymissionary.com. HeartCry is a missionary society founded by Paul Washer. The goal of our ministry is to glorify God and bring the greatest possible good to humankind through the preaching of the gospel and the establishment of biblical churches throughout the world. Visit heartcrymissionary.com to view our other productions and to find out more about HeartCry Missionary Society. Welcome back. Uh, In our last session, we studied Proverbs chapter 3, and we were in verse 11, talking about biblical discipline. I'm going to read the text again, and then we're going to go over to Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to see a New Testament application. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 11. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. All right. Now, let's go over to the book of Hebrews in the in the New Testament. And uh, and let's look at verse uh, chapter 12, uh, verse four. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplined us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that your limb, which is lame, may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for the privilege, the opportunity to teach uh, these young people a foundational truth of Christianity. Father, I pray that you would open up their eyes and their ears and give them understanding with regard to the text that this salvation of ours is not about our best life now, but about an eternal and extra weight of glory, about conformity to your Son and being willing to pass through whatever is necessary, each one of us according to your plan, that we might be conformed to his image. Lord, please give us understanding into this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's begin. In verse 4, he says, You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Now, in the book of Hebrews, we understand that the believers here are have been and are being persecuted, and they're, they're growing weary of it. Um, we can see that, that many of them have probably been kicked out of the temple, been kicked out of the synagogue, um, They have, it seems that some of them have lost property, maybe land, maybe homes, maybe jobs. They have suffered greatly. 
with regard to their faith. And now what you need to see is that although evil men are doing this, there is another sense in which the sovereignty of God is working all things together for the good of his people. God is using this. And yes, we can even say at times orchestrating this. With what purpose? That his people might be transformed, that they might grow in their in the image of Christ. Now, I know I keep saying that over and over, but you've got to understand that Christianity is is about this life. And there are many benefits to Christianity in this life. But the greatest good that God is working in us is not comfort or ease or wealth or prosperity or health. The greatest thing that he's working in us is conformity to his son, that we be transformed into his likeness. And God is willing to pull out all the stops. He's willing to do whatever is necessary. Now, here in verse four, he says, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. Now, when I read this, I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat amazed. I mean, when I think about the puny things that I have suffered, the puny trials that I have gone through in my 30 some years as a Christian, and sometimes, you know, we have a tendency here in the West, the smallest thing happens and we complain about it. But God is looking at these people who have lost homes and land and reputation and everything. And he says to them, hold it. You haven't resisted to the point of martyrdom. I mean, I need you to understand, young people, that here at Heart Cry, even, we deal with people almost on a constant basis that have been persecuted. In, in other countries that have been arrested, that some have disappeared, that have been, um, that have suffered physically, that have been separated from their children, so many different things. So when, when you and I complain that the trials are too hard, maybe we need to hear this. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. Also, we see something here very important. We are to strive against sin. And we are to rejoice in whatever God sees fit to use to make us less given to sin, less controlled by sin, to make us more holy. Now, let's go on. He says, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. And this comes from our passage in Proverbs. You have forgotten it. You have forgotten that the trials, the suffering, they have a purpose, and that is to conform you to Christ. You see, I've always said this, and I think I've said it a lot of times in the study. Everybody has a battle plan until the first shot is fired. Everybody has a plan of how they're going to defeat their opponent in the ring until the first punch is thrown. And then it's just mass confusion, survival and swinging away. And it's so easy for us as Christians, when everything is going well, to listen to a teaching on on discipline and God's purposes in our life and the suffering of trials and say, amen, amen. But the moment those trials hit us, well, if we're not really grounded in the word, there's going to be great confusion. Now, let's go on. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't treat this as a small thing and don't become angered or embittered with regard to it, this is necessary and this is God's will. Goes on, it says, nor faint when you are reproved by him. When God, not just there's a trial, but when God himself is showing you, this is the result of immaturity in your life, or this is the result of even sin you have committed. 
don't don't faint. Don't become discouraged when he tells you you're wrong because he's telling you that you're wrong for a reason because he loves you. And he wants you to become something else, something more, something like his son. You know, we live in a society today that we're now reaping the benefits of all this 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 silly instruction of children where they're never to be told that they're wrong. They're never to be corrected. They're never to be instructed. They're never to be disciplined. We've got to be so patient and careful about someone's feelings that we never tell them the truth. Well, that doesn't work in Christianity. It doesn't work anywhere. But especially with regard to Christianity, you and I need to be told we're wrong when we're wrong so that we can stop being wrong. And when when God shows you that or someone shows you that through the word, don't stick your lip out, don't pout, don't have a pity party and don't say you're going to take your ball and go home. Understand. This is part of learning and this is part of the Christian life. It's also a part of preaching. If you're in a church where the, where the preacher never points out sin, he never exposes sin, he never you never find yourself being reproved or rebuked or corrected in the pulpit. You're probably not in a good place. Now, I'm not talking about a mean spirited person who's just constantly deriding and tearing everybody down. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about balanced preaching. But in balanced preaching, young person, there are going to be not only instruction and encouragement, but also correction and rebuke and a calling for repentance and change. So he says, don't faint when you're reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And then look what he says. And he scourges every son whom he receives. That word scourge is really hard. It literally means to beat with a whip. And what is it telling us? You may not like, you may not like this, but it's true. God cares about our holiness more than he does our comfort. And he will pull out all the stops. He will be patient with us. He will always love us. Everything he does toward his people is in love. But there are some times when Christians can walk so close to danger, can put themselves in such harm's way, or can do things that are so damaging that God will come with severe discipline. Severe discipline. But again, it is not... Punishment for the sake of punishment. It is discipline for the sake of redemption, to redeem us, to change us, to conform us to Christ, to protect us, to protect us from every evil and harmful way, to the salvation of our souls. But please understand this. God is working, and sometimes he will work in tremendous ways to change us. To changes. Now, I want you to see something here that is very, very important. One of the greatest demonstrations of God's love is that he's going to be concerned for your life and he's not going to let you go your own way. He knows the paths of the righteous and he's intimately involved in the way they walk and in leading and teaching and guiding and correcting and disciplining. Now, I want to talk for just a moment about discipline because I want you to understand two sides of it. Number one, when we're disciplined, it can be because of sin. It can be because of 
immaturity. We, we need it. But discipline is not always because of some rebellion or disobedience or sin on behalf of the child of God. Discipline can simply be because God wants to take us to another level. Uh, as a matter of fact, some of the godliest people on the planet are those who will suffer the greatest form of discipline. Now, what do I mean? Well, when I was a young boy, I, I wasn't really born, you know, with the best genetics. I wasn't that strong. I wanted to be. And we lived on a, we raised uh, Charlotte cattle and quarter horses. And if you went to the back of our property, it was about a mile and a half and um, kind of a half a mile this way and three quarters of a mile this way. And, and a lot of it gravel roads. And I told my dad, you know, I just want to get stronger. He said, okay, okay. And so when we would get to the very back of our property, having fed cattle, especially in the winter, I had these big, heavy work boots on. And sometimes he would put ankle weights on those big, heavy work boots. And he'd say, okay. And he'd get in the truck and drive off. He'd say, keep up if you can. And I would run home. Now, it wasn't because my dad was disappointed in me. It wasn't because I had done something wrong. I wanted to be stronger. I needed to be stronger. This is the way you get stronger. It is through training. It is through difficulty. I mean, if you want to get stronger as far as lifting weights, what do you have to do? You have to keep increasing the resistance. If you want to become a great runner, what do you have to do? You got to keep increasing the distance and increasing the difficulty of the terrain. This functions in everything. If you want to become a good mathematician, what do you have to do? You have to keep advancing farther and farther into more complex aspects of mathematics. And it's not easy. You see, victory in, in any area of life is not for the slothful. It's not for the apathetic. And it's not for the person who's undisciplined, who just wants everything handed to them. But especially in the Christian life. Now, let me share something with you, young person. The most dangerous prayer you can ever pray. All right? The most dangerous thing you can ever say to God is what? Lord, make me like Jesus. The writer of Hebrews tells us that even the son learned obedience through the things he suffered. You want to be godly? You want to be like Christ? You want to be an instrument that God can use? <laughs> well, well, buckle up because there's training involved and there's trials involved and there's disciplines involved. Yes, but isn't it the same for the, the young lady who wants to win the Olympic gold in gymnastics? The moment she decides that when she's six years old, doesn't her entire life change? She goes through so much work, so much suffering, so much pain, so much pushing, pushing, pushing. And her coaches are relentless, They're almost merciless. Well, what do you want? And you got to make a choice. You want an easy life? Okay. You want a life without much hardship? It's your decision. You want to be like Christ and you want to be used of him? Well... It's a long road, and it is not just a hard road. It's the hardest road, but it's worth it. In the end, an extra weight of glory. And knowing in good conscience that you've done what you could do, 
for the honor of God and for the good of his people. But make no mistake about it. It will open up a door to difficulty. And if anyone is telling you something else, then they're trying to sell you something that's not worth buying. All right, let's go on. He says in verse seven, it is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. You know, it's, it's very strange for some of you maybe to hear this because you've been raised now in a culture where parental discipline, uh, discipline from teachers is, is a thing that is not only not mentioned, it's scoffed at, it's treated as something vile, something wrong. But the majority of the world is not like that. And the majority of the great majority of history is not like that. There was no sense at all of being a father that did not discipline his children. There's no sense of, of learning, even in education, without discipline. It is absolutely impossible. And here we can see something that is it's a spectacular truth that you need to understand that one of the greatest evidences that you are indeed a child of God is that God will not just let you live any way you choose, that he will intervene in your life. For what purpose? To remove you from sin, to make you holy, to direct your life into paths of righteousness. You see, look at verse eight. But if you are without discipline of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Let's look at a minute at, at, at Jacob and Esau. It says specifically in the prophets, God says, I, Jacob, I loved Esau, I hated. Now, when you look at both of their lives, you see something that doesn't seem to quite fit. At the end of their, their life, when Jacob comes back into the promised land, Esau is very prosperous, very powerful, many people following him great wealth. He doesn't even need the gift that Jacob wants to give him. So how is it that God showed hatred, enmity toward Esau? And then look at Jacob. Jacob, yes, he was prosperous. He was very prosperous, but it seemed like every day of his life, God was beating the living daylights out of him, as my grandmother used to say. And with Esau, you never see God disciplining Esau. But he disciplines Jacob every step of the way to the point that when Jacob comes back into the promised land, he's limping. So what's going on here? One of the greatest signs of God's judgment against you that you do not belong to him is that he just lets you go. He just lets you go and he doesn't intervene to make you holy, to change your character, to instruct you in the ways of righteousness. He just lets you go. And one of the greatest signs that you truly are a child of God is just the opposite. He will not let you go, even when you want him to sometimes. He will work in your life. He will cleanse you from unrighteousness, from iniquity. He will transform you. He's that kind of father. And that's how he demonstrates his great love toward us. Now, let's go on. Verse nine. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? You know, 
there were many times when my father disciplined me when um, I did not uh, appreciate it. I did not want it. But as I look back now at his discipline and the discipline of my mother, and sometimes my mother was harder than my father, I respect them for it. Because much of what I am today, if anything, and much of what I can do today, if anything, is the result of, of their discipline. I, I, um, it's so funny, you know, uh, sometimes the, the administrator or whatever has to come in and say, look, you, you just need to stop working. I, I, I'm not very smart, but I can work like a plow horse. And I owe that to my dad. I can remember, you know, as a boy, you know, early in the morning, my dad would come in and he would always say the same thing. Paul boy, get up. There's no rest for the wicked. That's what he would say. And when he said, get up, you better get up. And, and to work, and to work, and to work. When you didn't want to work, you wanted to play, but no work. But how much that impacted and, and changed my life. My mother, with regard to my character, my manners, everything that they invested in me. And when they told me no, and when I disobeyed and there was punishment, rightfully so, it changed me, it transformed me, it molded me. And so I respect them for it. How much more should I respect God? Because think about it. The God of the universe actually cares enough to be involved in my life, to intervene, to make me into something more. Isn't that amazing? What a privilege. And the fact is, when he disciplines me, he's not like my mom and dad. He, he sees everything perfectly. He knows exactly what needs to be done. He never commits an error. He never misjudges. He never, he never disciplines too little. He never disciplines too much. It's always perfect. So should I not respect him? If I respect my earthly parents for it, how much more should I respect God, who's perfect in all his ways? And then we go on and he says in verse 10, for they disciplined us for a short time as seems best to them. But he disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. You know, my, my parents' discipline has an impact upon this world. They were with me for a while, and it has an impact upon this world. God will be with me forever, and the discipline he's doing right now in my life will have an impact on eternity, upon eternity. And why does he discipline us? Not only for his glory, for our good. And what, what is our good? What is it? Your best life now? Ease, comfort, prosperity, wealth, the accumulation of things? No. Something far, far greater. Look what it is. It says, He disciplines us for our good so that we may share His holiness. Share His holiness is basically synonymous with what we have over there in Romans 8. To conform us to the image of His Son, that He be the firstborn among many brethren. After saving you, God's primary work, his goal, is changing you, transforming you. And from what we see in Scripture and what some of us old saints can bear witness to in our own lives, he will stop at nothing. He's relentless. He is relentless. As it says up here, he scourges every son whom he receives. That even whipping to the point of shedding blood. 
He will go to every extent necessary to change us. And you know what's amazing? He knows exactly what Paul Washer needs. The trials I need to go through are not necessarily the trials you need to go through and vice versa. He knows exactly what each one of us needs individually so that we might be conformed to the image of his son. That is a comforting thought, isn't it? And he's doing it for our good, for our holiness. Holiness, godliness has benefit not only in this life, according to the scriptures, but in the life to come. Now, verse 11, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. That is so true. That is so true. I have to do a lot of work in uh, in France. And um, what's really funny is when I was a young kid, I had to take French in, uh, in grade school. And uh, I was really rebellious. And so I didn't spend much time learning French. I spent most of the time in the hall and the teacher wearing me out. That was back when they had paddles about this long and they drilled holes through them so the air would escape and they could flat out wear you out. And I got wore out quite a bit and it was never, it was never something that was joyful. It was sorrowful, but it's what I needed. It's what I needed. It's what I really needed. All right. So it's not, it's not happy at first, but it does correct you. And the results can be joyful. You know, yesterday I was out and, uh, in the backyard, you know, I'm, I'm doing, uh, let's see, yesterday I was, I was working out with, with legs. Leg day is always so difficult. So I'm back there in the yard and I'm, uh, I'm doing lunges just over and over and over. And sometimes my wife looks at me and she says, you're nearly 60 years old. When are you going to give up? But you see, it's painful. It really is painful, especially with a replaced knee and everything else, but it's necessary. The results are worth it. It means maybe I'll live longer. Maybe I can work harder. Maybe uh, my head is clearer. So you do these types of things that aren't necessarily joyful at the time, but they reap benefit. And that's one of the things, uh, young people, that kind of scare me about um, even video games that aren't violent or, or immoral um, is that there's a, a type of um, immediate gratification. You, you, you just get in that world and you can just do it. And there's no sweat. There's no learning curve. There's no discipline. You just get in and you build things and you do things. But that's not reality. In reality, there's discipline, there's training, there's correction, there's consequences. And in that, we find joy because we become something other than what we were. So he says, um, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it. Now, see, here's another thing that's very important. Training, uh, except maybe in this generation, training and learning always involves discipline. Always. Always. Now let's go on. He says, yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So what is God doing? Well, I don't know exactly what he's doing in your life, but I know this. If you're a Christian, he has saved you 
100% by grace through the blood of his son, through the death and resurrection of his son. And you are saved by faith. You are justified by faith, not of works. No man can boast. But once you have been saved by faith, by grace, this God who saved you is going to begin to work in you. And, and he will teach you through his word. He will instruct you. He will guide you, but he will also discipline you. And why? For righteousness sake. And what is righteousness? Conformity to the image of Christ. Conformity to the character and will of God. He's disciplining you for an extra weight of glory, for joy unspeakable, for an eternity with him. He's preparing you. He's changing you. That's the goal. And it, it really, in light of what is waiting for us, whatever we have to go through, you need to understand it's worth it. And not only is it worth it, but it is designed by a God who is all wise and all loving. So what is the best thing that we can do? Accept it. Trust in it. And hope in the midst of it. Hope that what God says is true. That as I pass through these fires, as I pass through these trials, and even as I pass through discipline, that's the result of my sin, that God is working because he loves me. Because he will not tolerate anything but me and you being conformed to the image of his son. And he does it again because he loves us and he does it for our joy and his joy. Now, how should we respond? Verse 12, therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb, the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed in the midst of of trials, in the midst of fire, in the midst of discipline. What should we do? Just keep going forward. Just keep going forward. Keep hoping, keep believing. You know, like when you're in the race sometime and you sit there and go just one foot in front of the other and keep breathing. Why? The goal line is ahead. The finish line is ahead. And open yourself up to him and open yourself up to his correction. Because he's taking these weak areas of your life and he's turning them into strengths. He's taking these areas that are not so glorious, that are not so pretty, and he's beautifying them. He's making them instruments, means of glory for himself and good for you. I have walked with him so many years. I have failed him so many times. I have never found him to be wrong. Not one of all his good words have ever fallen to the ground. Without being completed, he is good, he is righteous, he is holy, he's right, he's loving. And if you're a believer, you're in his hands. Yield to him. Yield to him. And even when you're passing through the greatest fire, know that it has purpose. And you'll come through it because by his grace, he'll bring you through it. And in the end, You'll be refined like gold. Oh, I wish I could say more and I wish I could say it in a better way. 
But oh, may the Lord bless you. May your life become something spectacular for heaven to view. May you be conformed to the image of Christ. May you become an instrument of, of his glory, of his will. May you shine like a light in the midst of this crooked and dark and perverse generation. But in order to do that, you're going to have to pass through the fire. Yes, pass through the fire. Well, God bless you. And uh, be faithful. He will be faithful to you. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Studies in Proverbs podcast produced by HeartCry Missionary Society. Visit heartcrymissionary.com to view our other productions and to find out more about HeartCry Missionary Society.